Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where we get hype. Well, hype. sometimes. Um, I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Bij. And I'm hyped to be here. Huh? Excellent. Huh? Ah, that was nice. Today, we are talking about hype and media coverage and that sort of realm of things in general. And I mean, the reason that we got onto this topic was last week, we talked all about No Man's Sky, right. and it just had this huge amount of hype behind it. And we're not going to dwell on No Man's Sky. If you want to hear our thoughts about that, listen to last week's episode, because there were a lot of thoughts about that. Right. Um, but like in the wake of No Man's Sky, we were just kind of talking about this. We were texting back and forth and talking and there are a lot of games that get hyped huge now, like more so than when we were kids. And it's yeah, kind it's of just... like, uh, I've just kind of come to the feeling where like a hype happens sometimes, like, like it'll get me right. There will be games where there's just this huge like media machine. There's a marketing machine, you know, everyone's talking right. about them on the internet, on Twitter, on Reddit, on everywhere, you know, all the gaming blogs I read and there's this huge wave of hype. And sometimes I buy in, and I feel like the question is, does this hype really like improve your experience with a game? And for me, I don't really think it does. I tend to get really turned off by hype these days. And I think it, I don't know, when I was a kid, it probably because it was exactly what you mentioned, that it's happening so much more now than it used to, or at least it feels like it's more because of the way that the information cycles and the news cycles and that we just get inundated with it, that when I was a kid, I would get super excited about one game, like let's say Donkey Kong Country or Final Fantasy VII, that I would see all of the magazines and TV commercials and just promos and get super excited, and then the game came out and it was awesome and then i would move on to the next game that i would do this with but nowadays it's almost like there's too many games being hyped at once that i can't i can't deep dive into being you know i want to be a final fantasy 15 you know involved in that hype community because if i do that then i basically have you know no man's sky and titanfall 2 and you know space call of duty and all of these others kingdom hearts 3 things that are just coming at me from every direction these days as the industry's grown it's kind of overwhelming the amount of things things that keep getting all of the hype behind it. So for yeah. me, that turns it turns me off just the sheer amount of hype in general, not even about one specific property. Yeah, and I think part of it is just that it's like pre-internet versus post-internet, right? And that's kind right. of a little bit about what you're talking about, I think. Yeah. And it's just like before the internet, you know, the most like excited we could get the most information we could get about a game was from like whatever gaming magazine right you got like yep. egm or game informer or you know nintendo power like you would get if you were subscribed to a few gaming magazines you might get three a month but that was a lot mm -hmm. for any like one individual person and yep. that was kind of it for your gaming news like so all you had to do was sit around and think about it whereas like now i still keep up with the gaming news but every single day i read every like i don't read every blog post but i read every headline and i read a lot of blog posts from yeah. like five you know major gaming news blogs and so like i know what's going on i'm super up to date with it and people on my twitter timeline are talking about it so it's like it's it's not this thing where you can read about it once and then kind of sit back and think about it it's like you're always in the middle of whatever the next thing is or the thing that just yep. came out and for me, that kind of makes it a little bit less special. It's kind of like it's like that line in The Incredibles where it's like when everybody is special, no one is where that's the way I feel kind of about these games is like when you got something that was truly like magnificently hyped, like Final Fantasy seven, you were 
you were amazed at the things that they were saying about this game because it had never had anything like that happen before. And now with No Man's Sky, even though it's a fairly unique game, even the hype, it couldn't live up to it just because they hyped it up so much more because they keep having to elevate it to be the next big thing. And for that kind of game, for that kind of hype even... I just keep feeling like I've been burned too many times to buy in and actually enjoy the hype hype cycle anymore. Yeah, and I'm kind of there too. I mean, I think we agree on this one. It's not I think I'm there too, right? Like right. if if a hype wave gets super big about a game and I buy into it, like chances are that's going to diminish my enjoyment of the game overall. Mm-hmm. And if it meets my expectations, then it's just like, oh, yeah, that's kind of what I expected. But chances yep. are, like, if you get that excited about a game, you're just setting yourself up to get let down, which is sad to say, but it happens a lot, right? Like, No Man's Sky, I know we got nitpicky last week, but pretty much I was happy with it. Like, I, yeah. I like I said, I loved my first, like, 10 to 20 hours with that game, and I know a lot of people that were disappointed after the first 30 minutes because they had bought into you know all of this hype they watched all the videos they got in depth about all the pre-release media and i didn't do that like i had seen each of the e3 trailers once so i've probably watched three or four no man's sky videos total like in the whole time leading up to the game like all i remembered was that it's a procedurally generated space exploration game that's essentially where I came with it, too. I had a friend's son end up telling me about, like, running from my friend's office into mine with his iPhone, being like, Beach, you have to watch this. Oh, my goodness. And I watched the first trailer in 2014, that E3 trailer, and I was like, oh, my God, space dinosaurs. And that was essentially the the one point that I was writing until the end of uh, the production cycle. I knew that trailer a couple more. So for me, the game wasn't necessarily a letdown. It just wasn't as mind-blowing as it could have been so i still had fun i i think i had fun with it but i mean like we said last week but i mean i don't regret the time i spent on it because i didn't buy into the hype for that one and then you have a game that's like star wars the old republic where i was all in all the hype all the time i was pulling that within like every little tidbit that i could get and i mean i was on i when that game came up I was literally waiting on the servers to come up, and I was one of the very first people on the live early access. They came up at 6 a.m. Central, and I was up naming a character the moment that that server came up, that I was up early waiting for it that day. And you see what kind of game that turned out to be. I bought like $150 collector's edition with a statue. I mean, I went all in for the Old Republic, and that's kind of one of my... That's one of my, I got burned on this. I had a great time on it, but the game wasn't as magnificent as the hype led it out to be, that the mechanics weren't as advanced as they said they were going to be. And when I played it, I was like, this is a fun game, but it didn't live up to the hype that I'd expected, that if I'd toned it back and been like, oh, cool, another Star Wars MMO, I probably would have liked it a lot better overall. And I, I do think that my enjoyment was diminished because of the hype. Yeah, and I'm at the point now where... Like, we're kind of talking about all the pre-release media, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, the marketing blitz that goes on for games like this. And these days I'm at the point where I basically will consume, like, any of the the pre-release media that comes across my feeds, you know, Twitter or my RSS feeds for the the blog, news blogs I follow, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff, until I decide that I want to buy a game for sure or not buy a game for sure. Okay. And as soon as that happens, I basically go media blackout you know unless there's some huge announcement yeah 
yeah, unless there's some huge announcement about the game, like it got delayed or there's a massive shift in what the game is supposed to be, you know, because I'll, I still read the yeah. headlines, but like right. I won't go into the articles. I won't watch the videos because I've made my decision. Like I want to, you know, I basically just want to enjoy the game when it comes out. I don't want to like get myself overexcited for it and then feel let down. It's specifically yeah. because of this, because I've gotten burned so many times. Yes. And it's just like, you know, Final Fantasy 15, I made up my decision a long time ago. I knew I was getting it on day one. I don't know that much about it. Like, I mean, I played right. both of the demos when they came out because I was interested to see where the game was at. But that was me. Yeah, that was me hands on with a game. You know, that's not like me sitting there watching every scrap of video that comes out. Yeah, because I don't want to ruin it for myself and I don't want to get overexcited and then be let down. So basically, I just I go on media blackout and it's kind of it's kind of interesting because there it's really interesting because there are games that kind of toe the line right on both sides of this where i haven't made up my mind one way or another i don't know if i want to buy this game day one i don't know if this is going to be something that i pick up for ten dollars a year and a half from now on steam exactly you know those are the games that i will consume the most pre-release media for because i'm really not sure and then i'll read all the reviews and then i'll make my decision because i just haven't made up my mind yet but there are other games too where um, I see the first trailers or I read the first impressions uh-huh. and I just know it's not for me. And those ones, I pretty much just go on media blackout also because I know I don't care. Yeah, that's the exact same way for me, because whenever I see something, I'm pretty good at knowing what's going to be able to keep my attention these days. And if something I watch a trailer, if I see a couple of reviews or developer interviews, I'm pretty good at knowing if it's going to keep my attention for an hour or 30 minutes, or if I'm going to basically be spending a week or two or longer just playing this game and just falling in love with it. Like, it took years for me to get into Disney Infinity, but the moment that they released a Star Wars set and I made the decision, like, I want to give this a try, I was all in. Like, I was, I played that game for hours and hours and hours each day building and going through and completing things and all of the pre-release stuff all of the hype and things i'd heard about it did not weigh into it at all that it was just i'd seen some stuff like and it's kind of neat and then i made the decisions like yes this is where i'm going to be putting my time and money and went on from there i like getting surprised about things and that's something that i don't really feel happens in the games industry much right now is that i get surprised with like a truly good game that just came out of nowhere where you know i could see no Man's Sky having using it as an example I could see No Man's Sky being that kind of game if Sony hadn't picked it up that if it hadn't had all of this and it just came out as you know another another indie game that I didn't know anything about kind of like Firewatch part of the reason I love it so much is because it was a total and complete surprise for me it was released I heard a couple of people talking about it then you sent me the gift copy because you wanted me to play it <laughs> and I was blown away and it was a total surprise that I didn't know this game existed until maybe two days before I played it. And that just, that made it so much better for me than anxiously awaiting it to come out. And then, you know, months and months and years and years. And then, oh, that took five hours to beat. Oh, man. Where yeah. it was just like, oh, cool. I woke up and my buddy sent me a video game. Let's go play this all day and eat a sandwich. It's, it's, that's, that was so much more fun to me than, than taking in every bit of developer interview that I could, you know? And that was, I was really happy about that one because when i had heard that you knew like nothing about it that's when i was just like oh i need to get it for you before you find out about it because 
I knew it was a great narrative experience, and I knew that the less you knew going in, the more mm. fun you would have overall. Because it's really good if you can just sit back and experience it, you know? Yeah, and I was going in, like, even just talking about that, I didn't know there was no combat in it. That I thought it was a first-person shooter going in that told a story, because that's, you know, what I'm used to. And not, you know, going and blowing everything up was a wonderful surprise for me. Kind of like Stardew Valley, if you go in expecting a normal JRPG, you're going to be let down but at the same time surprised because it's like oh man i really like gardening on this this is this is ridiculous i like breaking these rocks so much yeah that one was really cool because it took it took like reddit by storm and then from there it just expanded out to everywhere else and it was like before the game came out almost no one had heard about it Mm -mm. you know the the guy had this little cult following that had been following his development because he had been making it for like four years on his own yeah but you know, I follow, like I said, I follow a ton of gaming news. I didn't hear about that game until after it came out, like right, right after it came out. And that's one of those things where the, the all the pre-release media, that's marketing doing its job, right? And in yes. a way, it's just because marketing is better than it used to be. With the internet, right. you can target people, you know, you have demographics, you have statistics, you have analytics. Like that part is fascinating to me because they're so much better at marketing than they used to be. I mean, you know, you can look at like the day one sales of a game like No Man's Sky, you know, a little indie game. They yep. marketed the heck out of it and they sold a ton of copies. Now there's backlash involved because there was so much hype, but they right. sold those copies like, you know, they still got that money. And yeah. in that respect, marketing is doing its job, which is really interesting for me because I've worked in marketing in a bunch of different ways before. Right. So seeing marketing get better just kind of as an exercise is fascinating for me to step back and think about. But the flip side of that is that the other side of hype is like after a game has launched and it's better than expected. Like, yeah. And that is the kind of stuff that I will actually buy into when it's a game I've never heard of and it's out now and everybody's talking about it. Suddenly that will get me intrigued. It gets me intrigued and a lot of times it makes me still not want to pick it up though. It still makes me wait another week or so to see if people are still talking about it. That it's one of those like everybody tends to love everything as much as they can possibly love anything for about two days and then they stop caring about it at all. It's when the shiny wears off. It's like oh okay I see what this game actually is or this movie or whatever and then after that if we're still talking about it and people are still being like okay guys this is getting even better and better the more i play it that's when i tend to look at it and be like oh maybe maybe i should pick this up and you know i have there are certain reviewers that i really trust so i'll keep an eye on what they write or what they you know put out there about it if it's videos or podcasts or writing whatever and it's really like reviewers that i trust but not the publications that they're part of And it's something that I think a lot of people might not realize is a thing even like Polygon, right? Polygon is one of my favorite gaming news sites out there. And there are certain people on Polygon where I know that their views on gaming line up with mine so well that I need to read everything that they write. Whether or not I care about the headline or the article, like I know that by the end of reading that article, I will have gotten something out of it. And there are other people that I'm like, oh, they're a fine writer. It's just fine. You know, if the right article pops up, yeah, I'll read it. But their views don't line up with mine so well. 
So it's it's different. So over the years, I've learned all of these specific writers at a bunch of different publications, and I follow the, those writers a lot closer than I follow the publications in general. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. That's the way I tend to do like movie reviews and things like that. There are certain people who I will read about or book reviews that I will read their reviews of, but don't want to go and like just because it was published in you know the Chicago Sun doesn't mean anything. But I would go and you know read Roger Ebert's movie reviews and things like that. And for me, any review, any critical review doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I tend to trust friends who I know what their gaming tastes are like, and then I can kind of gauge between that. You and Austin are really two of my milestones, my mile markers to know because you look at things so differently. Like take the Final Fantasy 15 demos. Yeah. He hated the first one, like absolutely despised it and thought it was just essentially garbage and loved the second one. Said the second one was what he wanted out of the game, like it was great and wonderful. And you told me the exact opposite for that one, <laughs> that you loved the first one and thought that the second one was lackluster. And so for me, since I know what how you game and I know how he games, for instance, I will probably fall somewhere in between that with those. There are going to, because of the way that I look at video games compared to you guys. So I sure. use a lot of friends as my guideposts on, you know, if you're playing a game and you're like, like you and Bravely, like the Bravely games, like knowing yeah. how much you love the Final Fantasy games means that one day I will be picking those up to play. But if you're like, oh no, these are, these are absolutely terrible, there's no way. But at the same time, I love the secret world and trust, you know, let's say uh, Sip on... Twitter, Justin, he uh, sure. who writes for Massively Overpowered, he got me into playing that game because I knew I liked the same kinds of MMOs that he did and our gaming taste lined up and our, our like the way that we look at, you know, community and stuff like that lines up so much that I looked at the secret world and was just blown away by it. And I think you would absolutely despise that game if you haven't tried it because it is so invested in horror that that even though the storytelling is so lovely and the gameplay is really cool, I don't think you could get around the atmosphere. No, I know myself well enough to know that that game is not for me. And I've known that since I started seeing previews for it. So I've basically tuned it out. But yes, mm. you are correct. And it's nice to have, like like you said, it's nice to have friends who know your taste well enough to, even if they like a game, say, you probably wouldn't like this. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, it's one of those things that, like, this is the part of hype that I like is yes. after the game is out because there's this discussion around it. And... If there's this groundswell of people talking about it, I am much more likely to pick up a game, even if I wasn't that interested in it before, because I like being part of the discussion. Right. I like writing my blog about current games. I like coming on here and talking to you about what just came out. And, you know, this gets listeners on Twitter to talk to us about games. And then I can have discussions yeah. all week about what we just talked about. Like, I love that. That's a part of gaming that... I just I think it's so cool that the community can talk about games all at the same time. And yes. if you don't pull the trigger on, you know, a new game in week one or week two, you don't get nearly the same level of discussion. And that's no. okay. But you have to be 
cognizant of it, you know, yeah. if you're someone like me who really likes being a part of the discussion a lot of the time. And I think that it depends entirely on what kind of game it is and what your preferences are as a gamer and as a consumer. Because over the last week, while I know we'll get to this a little bit later when we get to the geekery section, but maybe um, I've been playing a lot of PlayStation Vita games and I've had and over the past few weeks as I've led up to getting this, I've had a lot of discussions with people since our JRPG episode on retro games, on Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, Final Fantasy IX and Xenogears, all of this. And I've talked to a lot of people on Twitter about it. And these are, you know, 20 year old games, sometimes 18, 15, 20 year old games. And that's awesome. So it depends entirely, I think, on just who you're talking to, that if you can hit on a game that somebody loves, that it feels like a brand new hype monster, I think, for me, that I got this. And somebody today sent me a picture of their favorite games on Vita folder that they have. Oh, I uh, saw that. Basically showing me. And I was like, that's awesome. Those are the kind of things that I just absolutely love. It's like, I didn't know some of those games were out on Vita, and now I'm going <laughs> to have to buy them, because I didn't know they were digital stuff. But that that makes me feel good to have that kind of discussion and because we're, we care so much about it and whether you know it's a 20 year old game or a 20 hour old game it's that community around it that makes it fun not so much just the media push to sell more copies right yeah and that's that's something to keep in mind too is like what your group of people online is interested in can have a big effect on like who you get to discuss it with and what right. you talk about. And that's really cool. And before we wrap up our talk on hype, I had a couple questions. Okay. So do you have a preference in like, so the media that we're talking about, right? When you go and you're thinking about a game, but you're not sure, like, do you have a yeah. preference in what you look at as far as like, do you like written previews? Do you like podcasts? Do you like screenshots, videos, like streams? What kind of thing do you like? Whenever I tend to actually get in and look for something, the first thing I look for are developer interviews. And I love looking at things like that and behind the scenes documentary type stuff. Like if somebody went and toured the development facility and saw the software engineers working, I love seeing that stuff. That if I can make a connection with the team, I will buy their game. That the first episode of this podcast, I was watching Double Fine Adventure, the documentary from that followed Double Fine Productions as they made Broken Age. Yep, I remember that. I, I hadn't even finished it yet, but I bought Broken Age on iOS because of liking those people and wanting to give them money from it. So that's the first thing that I do, that if I really want to buy in and see if I'm going to to really, really enjoy a game or purchase it, I want to know who made it. And like Mighty Number no. 9, I started watching the uh, the two-player production documentary on it i don't particularly like the uh the guy who's leading it i can't remember his name off the top of my head the dude who did mega man is and that inafune maybe i maybe. really or maybe I, that's that might be a different game there's a lot of kickstarter games out there now yeah the dude who did mega man not a big fan of him he comes across uh, as just just i don't even know the word for how it has it he's not my kind of person he's not somebody i would just go out and have a drink with and yeah. so for me i was like i don't really to give you money you're kind of mean to those people <laughs> and so that means a lot to me on whether or not the developer seems friendly and i know that's silly but i also a demo trial early access alpha access anything at all that you are willing to share and let people get their hands on is way more likely to get my attention 
because like with a Kickstarter game that if you have a demo, you're like, this is what I'm putting out. It's it's something that we can really feel whether or not we're going to like it. I backed a game called Glitched earlier this week, and uh, I haven't even played the demo of it, but I know there's a demo available. And the same thing for the new System Shock remake they did on uh, Kickstarter. They released a demo of it so that you could see what they were doing because so much of like those crowdfunding games that get so much hype, there is no kind of hands-on. So videos can only go so far, but if I can touch a game and you are comfortable enough at an early stage of letting a large, pretty cynical and judgy games industry uh, fan base really touch your game and break it then you've probably got a good product on your hands but if you're holding everything close to your chest there's a really good chance i won't pick it up because it may not be very good so for me i want to know who makes it and to be able to play it myself or at least you being willing to let me play it see that's interesting because i (laughs) most of those things don't matter to me um like i don't really care who made it or what they're like i i care about the game itself and if it's interesting enough to hold my attention so right um before a game comes out i'm much more likely to look at a gameplay footage that's kind of my main thing so okay i would love a great like 10 minute gameplay video because i'm gonna watch 30 seconds of it and i'm gonna watch it by clicking around through that 10 minutes really quickly yes. and just seeing what your game is about and it's because i've been playing games for so long you know uh-huh. like over 25 years of my life i've been playing games I can look at a total of 30 seconds of footage and get a really good summary about what the game is about just because I understand it. But then after a game comes out, um, I'm much, much more interested in written reviews, basically, Mm. from people I trust and podcast impressions, because those are usually off the cuff. And, you know, the podcasts I listen to are all people that I kind of know where they're coming from, even if their views don't line up with mine. I at least know how to contextualize what they're saying. So, yeah, before a game comes out, I love a gameplay video that I can click through really quick and just watch 30 seconds total. And then after... I love podcasts and I love written reviews. So that's kind of where I usually go for my, you know, media around the hype of a game. And then it's funny though that you say that though. To interrupt, sorry. Uh, oh, go for it. I do the exact same thing with long gameplay videos. I've I can't remember the last time I sat and watched an entire, you know, like say the Zelda streams from E3. I didn't watch the entire hours long thing of it. I probably should at some point, but Breath of the Wild, I know I want to get that game because of being able to click through and getting interested at any given point, being like, oh, that's really cool. I like seeing sure. that. And then going to the next one and being like, oh, that's really cool too. I want to see that too and it was just i loved it like i watched those long gameplay videos the exact same way that's funny so okay another one of my questions do you have any games that have like gloriously failed to live up to the hype uh champions online that is the worst of my buy-in that i can remember um i was so ready for it to come out because i'm such a superhero guy i'm such a such a comic guy i'm such an mmo guy or i was at the time and i've been following this there were some blogs online that were talking it up talking about like showing what was going on in development and talking to the developers and everything just seemed to be great and so i'd not i dropped the 60 dollars on a pre-order mmo and when it came out it was just not fun no it was pretty it bad was, it was yeah there was just it was pretty 
I can't say anything at all. They did a great job on the engine, but nothing else was very good. The the costume creation was eh. And, you know, that's a big thing in superhero MMOs is making right. your own costume. And it was just everything about it was such a letdown that... It's one of the reasons I don't really like dropping $60 on a day one game anymore because I realized that with a lot of the games I play, I can't take back or sell. That I would be more willing to do it with a single player game, I think, that I could you know, get a Steam refund if within the first two hours I realized that it is just not for me. I can send it back. I can get a refund. But with, you know, an, an online game as much as that's going on now, I just can't bring myself to drop 60 on most games nowadays because of being burned on champions online and being like, man, I could have done a lot more of that money. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not afraid to refund things on Steam now either. I can mm-hmm. usually tell in the first half hour if it's for me or yeah. not. And um, I'm also more careful about what I buy. Like, I probably yeah. get burned like once a year on this, you know, on a big like 60 dollars on a new game you know i was trying to think about my answer to this question i can't really think of anything that sticks out as particularly bad that i got burned on but i do know it happens it happens probably once or twice a year that i pick up a game day one and i immediately regret it (laughs) or maybe not immediately maybe it's like within the first week but a lot of the time i pick those up on steam now if i'm really not sure about it Mm -hmm. because i know i can turn around and refund it and then all that money will go in the steam wallet and i'll use it for something else later yeah i mean and i get burned on you know steam sale and humble bundle games but i'm usually out a dollar so i don't really feel bad about it. it's like oh man that game looked really awesome in the trailers but like i bought the humble bundle last week that had a roguelike named galaxy uh galaxy it was a space shooter roguelike i thought it was going to be awesome for me so i you know paid my buck and and downloaded it was like no i hated it it was just not a game that i like at all even a little bit i played (laughs) 10 minutes of it. I was like I will never never play this game again but eh, I was at a dollar and so I didn't feel that bad I got a couple others that were fun uh, out of it but man I, cheap games I get burned on even more but I mean they probably add up to the $60 game but I don't feel nearly as bad about it because it's not you know not the hype but they just gloriously fail to live up to you know me seeing this trailer like oh yeah and it's like oh no sure well, but the other side of it is like, do you have games that have lived up to the hype? So for oh, me, yeah. you know, there's like Final Fantasy 8, 9, and 10 were like the biggest okay. ones that came to mind when I was thinking about this because I love Final Fantasy 7. That was the one that got me into basically JRPGs and into Final Fantasy. That was like my right. gateway to Final Fantasy. And so I got so hyped up for Final Fantasy 8. And then I played yeah. 8 and I got hyped up for 9. And then, you know, same thing with for 10. And all of those lived up to what I yeah. wanted. Like, all three of those games were amazing. And then the other one for me is EverQuest. Like, Really? Yeah, I remember. And here's the thing. EverQuest is not a game I can ever go back to now. No, and I know no, it's not. Event- <laughs> no. I know eventually we're going to do an MMO episode where we just talk mm-hmm. about our history with MMOs. And I'll get more into this. But at the time, EverQuest was just amazing. It blew uh-huh. me away. It caught me at the perfect time of my life where my friends were also interested in it, and we played so much of it. So and much. It was my first MMO. It was the first virtual oh. world that I've ever been part of. Like, 
EverQuest lived up to the hype for me, and yeah. I, I won't ever forget that one. And I kind of feel that way about World of Warcraft, even though it wasn't the first MMO that I played, that it was, you know, I started back in Ultima Online in 1998, and I loved online games, but World of Warcraft, I played EverQuest before that, and I was playing Star Wars Galaxies and Dark Age of Camelot, and pretty much Anarchy Online, Asheron's Call, just pretty much everything that had been out I was playing at some point, and then World of Warcraft came along, and I was following the development of it a little bit and then my buddy got me into one of the betas and i played it uh back before they took out dwarf mages in the beta before release and i was sold on it immediately that it lived up to everything that people had said about just being a polished wonderful not easy but just simple everquest that you could just dive immediately into and i was hooked from the moment i rolled uh rolled up that that dwarf throwing frost bolts i was i was sold on it and then star wars galaxies did too i was following it as long as anybody else i mean i was an administrator of one of the major star wars galaxies fan sites at the time i got into the beta following it the entire way involved so many different ways in star wars galaxies hype and for a lot of people it was a letdown but for me it was a sandbox where I could live in the Star Wars universe, and it it lived up to everything for me. Yeah, that that it is was a fascinating game. That when we do our MMO episode, we got to dive deeper into that one. That oh, one, we will. That's a really interesting game. Oh yeah, and then for me, Final Fantasy VII actually did. You know, I was I was the same place that you were with eight, nine, and ten that I was following along. But mine started with seven. That to this day, I can go into my to the room down the hall and i have an ultra game player cd that has promo final fantasy 7 videos that they had exclusively uh been able to release from squaresoft before anybody else that i still have in its little cardboard jacket that comes that came you know sealed with the magazine that i still keep that because i was watching i haven't watched them in a while but i would watch this over and over and over again as a kid and final fantasy 7 came out and it was not a letdown at all that it was it was glorious and <laughs> that was because it was so different it was so new and they didn't make any promises that they didn't follow through with that for the first time like it was just about a perfect game based on the hype that it was what they said it was going to be and i think for me as a you know 14 year old that's what I wanted. They said it was going to be this, and there was no chance of it being a letdown. Yeah, that was that was a really cool game at the time, and it helps that it was like kind of redefining the genre. You know, yeah. I mean, it you know it was doing it a new thing that it, we didn't yes. really have anything to compare it to, and I'm sure that helps too. It does. Well, cool. So I think we're kind of in the same place. Like, yeah, pre-release hype, we're, we both try to be very wary of, and then post-release hype is much more interesting because you can become mm-hmm. like part of the conversation. Which, if you haven't noticed with us, you know, we kind of like to talk about games. We do like to talk about games. So with that, it's probably time for our weekly geekery, which if you don't know, it's where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. And it looks like we might get an extra long one with this week, which is pretty cool. Right. Um, <laughs> so for me, I've been playing more Hearthstone, so I played the second wing of One Night in Karazhan, which is still... Oh, yeah, that came out this week. Yeah, still fantastic. So by the time this episode is out, wing number three, which I think is the Menagerie, should be out. I'll probably be playing it while I'm listening to this episode right when it comes out. Awesome. (laughs) 
I always check the file right when we release the episode, so I anticipate listening to myself say this as I'm playing Wing Number Three. And um, then I've also kind of gotten back into the Hearthstone multiplayer, just because I I don't know I I had three quests in my quest log, and none of them said win a game, and that made me actually play because it was like it was the ones that you just get things for playing the game you like, know what were they i meant to ask what they were because after we were you know our conversation about that had already changed into a different topic and i couldn't remember any of the just play the game quests at that point like what were what were they having you do so i think it was like um summon 40 minions that cost two oh, or less that's right summon, those. okay yeah so there was like summon 20 minions that cost five or more and then there was something like cast 40 spells so it's basically yeah. like if you just play the game you'll get all of these and yep. those are the kind of quests that I love in Hearthstone, and I wish there was a way to turn off all of the ones that are like win X number of games with this class because I just mm-hmm. I hate those because you could go on tilt and just have a horrible night where you win literally zero games and you make no progress and it's just yeah. so disheartening. So I got back into the multiplayer. I played a bunch of that, which was fun. And then I finally got around to playing Bravely Second, which has been the very last game on my backlog list. So I'm I'm literally at the end of my backlog now for which video is crazy. games. Which it's so crazy. I haven't ever been at the end of my backlogs, like ever, for video games in as long as I can remember. So I started playing Bravely Second. And I'm not far enough in that the story has really grabbed me yet. Yeah. But I'm far enough in that I remember why I love all the systems in the game. It's just there are so many little things that they do to the classic JRPG formula that are fantastic. Like, did you ever check out Bravely Default? No, I never did. I keep meaning to pick up the demo and play, but I just haven't. I have a friend who's offered to let me borrow it multiple times and I was in the middle of doing something else at the time and didn't have time to didn't want to sit down and just play a JRPG where now that's what I'm into. So I'm probably going to take him up on it. So it's just like, I mean, the core concept of the game that's different is that you can basically like save turns. I mean, okay. you've looked at this, right? Do you know anything? <laughs> Not about really. No. Okay. So essentially, there's there's something called Brave and there's something called Default. And if you choose Default for a turn, it's basically their version of choosing Defend, like you know okay. that thing that's in every JRPG that you mm-hmm. never use because it's a stupid option. Yeah. Um, so you hit <laughs> yeah. Default. Well, yeah, it's true. So you hit default, and what that does is it gives you one. It's called a brave point, but basically, what you're doing is you're banking your turn to spend it later. So okay. you can bank up to four of them. So if you default four turns in a row, your character just defends those four turns, and you have four brave points. So what you can do after that is you can use brave and spend those to take four turns all at the same time. Okay. And the other side of this is that you can go into debt if you want. So oh. on the very first turn, like if you're grinding out trash mobs, right? You yeah. can you can queue up four attacks right away and you can go to negative four brave points. And oh. it basically means that like you can do this huge massive attack up front. You can just like, you know, alpha strike basically and yeah. destroy your enemy. But if you don't then they get four rounds where you can't do anything. Okay, so yeah, it's great for grinding and potentially on some bosses, depending on you know what the mechanics are. The but... mechanics on bosses are made around it too. It's, okay. it's really fun. The other thing that's interesting about it is that it makes healers viable for the first time ever. Like, I never ever use white mages unless I absolutely have to for a boss in other games that I play. For Whereas, real? 
Well, yeah, because they're worthless most of the time. You're just sitting there until you can finally heal. That's true, I suppose. In this, you just have them default until your other characters are damaged enough, and then you have them shoot off four heals in one turn. It's really cool. That's really true. That's and I've been starting. I've been playing Final Fantasy IX. So what I've been doing with instead of just sitting there is I can target my entire party and basically do party heals. Where whenever it gets to my turn and I'm taking damage across the board, I've just been you know targeting everybody with so it'll be a smaller heal on everyone with the white mage instead of going through and you know basically defending and attacking for eight. Yeah, so it's that's really cool. I also like, um, so like when you walk around, it's it's kind of this in-between of a 3D room and like the pre-rendered backgrounds of like yeah. the Final Fantasy 7 to 9 because mm-hmm. it is a 3D environment, but you kind of have a locked-off camera angle in it. All right. So you wander through it, but as you wander through it, you it like automatically generates a mini-map for you. So you okay, never good. have to worry if you're missing like a corner where they've hidden an item or yeah, you like miss a junction, good. you know, because that can happen a lot. If you go back to play Final Fantasy seven, VII, eight or nine, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And see, well, with nine, I haven't noticed that like coming. Mine has been going from Xenogears into Final Fantasy nine this week. And Xenogears is really frustrating because there's not a mini map at all that the reason I've picked Final Fantasy nine over playing it right now is because the 3D worlds like it's on PlayStation one. It came out in 1998. So they were experimenting with how to do 3D worlds in video games or in RPGs still. So there's no mini map, but there's a compass. And so a compass doesn't work nearly as well as a minimap does. And I've no. gotten tur- and I don't get turned around very often, but the graphics are just pixelated enough and muddy enough that I can't tell where I am sometimes and a minimap would be perfect. And in Final Fantasy IX, they're pre-rendered and you have the same viewpoint pretty much all the time. So I don't necessarily get lost, even though, you know, there's that here cursor I turned off, a little hand pointing at you, I turned it off. But I didn't really, you know, I like that. It turns out that I like the static camera angle so much more than I do a fully 3D world. That that was part of Xenosaga as well that I really didn't like was the camera moving around. And as I played Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy X, uh, Chrono Trigger, anything like that, I've noticed I love when the camera does not move. For a JRPG, 3D is great, but it has to have a good camera system. Or I, at this point, I didn't even know this about myself until this week. Just cannot deal with it. Yeah, or at least a camera that's intelligent. It doesn't have to be locked yeah. off as long as it like it picks points and it follows you in an intelligent way that you don't have to manually do it. Because once you are manually doing the camera control, then something about that just inspires developers to try to hide things in weird places. Uh-huh. And like just the the way they go about level design makes it less fun in a way. Which yeah, is they built weird. the levels weird. And yeah. that was something about Xenogears. Like Xenogears, uh, Xenogears story is great. But what is not great is platforming controls in a 1998 RPG that trying to jump through these 3D worlds is not very fun. So no, I'm bouncing back and forth between, oh my goodness, the battles are so fantastic and the story is just as great as I remember. And I have to jump again. Oh no, I fell. <laughs> Put it in sleep mode and watch Dick Van Dyke. I mean, it's that has been my last week in terms of gaming with that one. So, okay. I, I do want to ask you more about that because I have yeah. I have a bigger question along those lines for you. But my the last thing that 
I want to talk about that's like my, one of my favorite things that the Bravely series does yeah. is it lets you change the encounter rate. So it's a game full of random battles, but by default, they're on like um, 100% encounter rate. And okay. what you can do is you can turn the random battle encounter rate up to 200% or oh. you can turn it down to zero. So what this means for me is that Usually when I get to a new area, I want to grind a little bit. So yeah. I'll crank it up to 200 so that every step you take or every like two or three steps you take, you get into a random battle. You don't have right. to waste your time wandering around waiting for one to trigger. Yeah, so just circling. Like, yeah, yeah, just circling. So you take a step, you get a random battle. You take a step, you get a random battle. You do that until you get to the level you want. And then I turn it off. I turn the random encounters down to zero. And then that I just sense. wander through. I explore whatever the new area I'm in, grab all the items, go to the boss and just do the story for a little bit. So it lets me really segment out, okay, I'm going to grind for a while, you know? Like, I'm going to watch some TV or listen to a podcast while I just grind, and then, okay, I'm going to stop watching the TV, stop the podcast, whatever, and I'm going to do the story for a while. Like, it gives you this control over it that I just love. And it's super weird that more games don't have that, that it's such a point of contention among fans of the genre that you either love random battles or you absolutely loathe them and so it's amazing to me that this is the only game i've ever heard of that has let you control the rate at which you get into battle yep so that was kind of those were my main weekly geekery things i wanted to hit but i did want to ask you because i've been playing xenogears you've been playing final fantasy 9 like Mm -hmm. you just talked about you bought a Vita, but you sold yes. your new 3DS that you just I bought last week. So did. you have to tell people about, like, basically, give us your thought process here. <laughs> okay, so so I got a good deal on the new 3DS on Craigslist. And so I was basically able to sell it for uh, double what I paid for it. So I went ahead and threw it on eBay, and it, it's gone now. And the reason I did is because Xenosaga Chronicles is a good game, but... It is not, the story wasn't interesting enough for me that I could see how it was a good story. It was a fun story and the game itself is fun, but it just never hooked me. And I was about seven hours in and it hadn't hooked me quite yet. And I didn't really care about the characters or the, the, the overall narrative. And when a game looks, you were talking about how long to beat last week. When a game takes 70 hours to beat, I just decided I'm not spending 10 times the amount of time on this as I have and don't really care yet. Yeah, sure. I looked at the other games I was wanting to play on the 3DS and none of them were new 3DS exclusive that the ones that I wanted to play were Kirby, Planet Robobot, uh, Link Between Worlds, Metroid Prime, Federation Force, things like that that are just on that I can play on the 2DS. So oh, there was yeah. no there was no real reason to keep the new 3DS if I didn't like the exclusive game very much. So the guy that I had talked to on Craigslist about a month ago messaged me back and was like hey are you available today to uh, meet and get this vita and so i was able to get a vita final fantasy 10 and uncharted for 75 dollars and so i'll be able to sell the games once i'm done with them i'll be able to make a lot of money off of this whenever i'm done too but i playstation also had a like ultra August sale this last week. So I got six PS1 games or six Vita games, I should say, for $16. And I got Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy Tactics, Saturday Morning RPG, Wild Arms 1 and Wild Arms 2 for $16. 
I yeah. sense a theme there. I might I might have a little bit of an addiction on going back and playing the old games that I loved. And yeah. uh but but they're fantastic and they're two or three dollars a piece. And I was like, I can play all of these on the Vita. And so I I bought them because I knew I was gonna get one eventually. But lately I I've like just to been... think I'm partially responsible because we talked you... about the JRPGs and I, I really hit hard on how like the Vita is secretly the best RPG console on the market. You are wholly responsible for yes. it. Not even partly, because I always thought that the Vita was a garbage system, that it was one of those that was put out and it felt almost like a joke for me because I knew one guy, one person since the vita was released that actually bought it and he ended up selling it after he got bored with it within a month because the games that were released on it just weren't fantastic and you are the only person that i knew until twitter this week when everybody's like oh my goodness the vita is so fantastic look at all my games yeah there's a ton of people out there who play vita who have a ton of games and they use it for all of these ps1 classics and these like vita exclusive games that people haven't ever heard about but it doesn't get broadcast like no sony never marketed it that well they never really hyped it up i mean it's like the opposite of what we talked about you know earlier like there was no hype behind the vita not really not after the first launch of it and now you can just you can get this huge backlog of ps1 classic games and they're amazing like it's the best way to play most of these ps1 games yeah and the thing is they're beautiful that is the weirdest thing for me to see is that i have tried playing final fantasy 12 on my hd tv and the reason that i stopped was because i couldn't tell what was going on that on a 50-inch HD TV, a PlayStation 2 game that has... And it may be because 12 is a very specific kind of graphics where they were trying for realism before HD came out. So it was hard for me to see what was going on. So I just stopped playing it. I couldn't tell where my character was half the time and what was going on. And on the Vita screen, you can set the screen size to any custom thing that you want to have it fill, original, you know, justify, whatever. But if you hit custom it fits it exactly to uh the the square on the screen and it makes it perfect to see like final fantasy 9 still looks beautiful like this final fantasy 9 graphics look honestly like the xenosaga chronicles on the 3ds and so um you know it's great like i'm having such a good time looking at these old playstation games and seeing the animations in the 2d sprites and they just look like a handheld game at this point where it's not even like oh i'm playing this game from 20 years ago it's like no i'm cool i'm playing this really cool little handheld rpg it's it's great now and had no idea the vita existed yeah and it has other things like um the memory card like it has virtual memory cards so like your memory card isn't going to get corrupted you can reassign all of the controls in it too so you can actually do things that you can't do on the playstation i basically made it every time i went back and played a final fantasy game um the ones that were on ps1 so if you don't remember because there wasn't really like dual analog control at the time um but you can essentially set it up the way that you would normally play a game with two analog sticks now Uh just by doing a little bit of controller reassignment and i love that 
I love it so much being able to do that and because Wild Arms doesn't allow it at all, but you can re you know remap the controls to be the left analog stick to control the characters and it is so much better than using a D-pad. And it's just it's just astonishing how good this little system is and that no one really talks about. So yeah. I, I thank you for telling me about this, that it's now made me play all of these games. The last couple of days have been me going through as I've been sick and not able to really move around or think or work on anything. I've been able to just sit and watch TV and play video games is essentially all I can have the mental capacity for. And I've been just sampling Xenogears, Final Fantasy nine final fantasy 10 and seeing you know which game i want to play i've decided on final fantasy nine it's going to be the one i play through like the first before any of them and it's made me really 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 want to go through and play final fantasy 12 and 13 again because i've never played all the way through them that i've only played the opening parts of both of them and i'm really really excited to get through i may actually do it 9 10 12 13 15 and go through do all of them in this order kind of like you did from the beginning up yeah i may do it in the progression order like this to experience at least the later half because if i'd really thought about it i would have done it six up or five up because there is no i because you really like those ones you know that you like those already yeah i know yeah. that i like those already but i'm gonna go back and play five i think that may be the the five job fiesta or four job fiesta next year but i bought it to be able to have to do stuff like that and go through eventually but yes, I may do fun. a nine through fifteen binge on this because they're just they're so good. <laughs> like I forgot I haven't played Final Fantasy Nine since two thousand when it came out. It has it's been almost seventeen years that I've played this game. It's been sixteen years right now, and it's been my favorite one. I've said it's my favorite one, but I've only ever played through it one time. And going back, it's still like I don't remember what happens, and I don't even remember what the main story is right now. But I'm just like, oh my gosh, I remember this. This is so awesome. And it's it's not even nostalgia. It is just good gameplay. That it's like, the animation is still pretty. And I wish that this was the HD remake. Is the only thing. I because know. I want to see what the HD looks like for this game. But I also don't feel like playing it on my phone as much as I want to play it on my Vita. Or, or play it on my, my computer with the HD remake. And $2.36 is you know better than twenty. The one thing about the remake that would be that is better is the loading times for battle. That's the only thing if you're playing mm. the PS1 version that like when I went yeah. back and, and I've replayed it a couple times because it's my favorite Final Fantasy. That was my one consistent complaint with it are the loading times in that game yeah. to get into battle. And then like the battle animations take way too long for how long it takes the meters to fill up. It's just it's ridiculous. Like you can turn your battle speed to fastest and it's still it just is, not close still enough. Slow. Yeah. But okay, so if you end up playing Final Fantasy 12 and 13, I give you eh, maybe a 50% chance of getting hooked on Final Fantasy 12 because yeah. I think because I know you've been doing coding and developing more and more. Yeah. Um, I think once you get back into that Gambit system, you're going to realize it's basically like coding in a way that's okay. very, very interesting. Um, I don't know if you'll push through and finish 12. You might. You might. But 12 is interesting. And I give it about a 50% chance of hooking you. But I also know your tastes. I give you a 5% yeah. chance of ever beating Final Fantasy 13. I do not think you're going to get into <sighs> that game. 
I, okay, where I am in the game, I love the story. I'm to the point where um, you get your first Eidolons and uh, you just fight like, uh, I think it's Shiva or Odin or somebody. They have motorcycles or something. And like, <laughs> I don't know. And I got there and started walking a little bit more. I was like, man, I'm walking down another corridor and I'm done. And I stopped playing it. Like, I love the story, but I didn't like the gameplay as much. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get back into it. But I want to because I like the story a bunch of 13. The reason that I said that is because of the gameplay. Um, so yeah. you've been walking down a corridor for probably, I don't know, like five hours at where you are. You have to walk probably, down a yeah. corridor for another 30 hours before you get to anywhere yeah. that opens up. And you open up for one chapter and then you get back into a corridor again for the rest of the game. <laughs> seriously like, no i'm not kidding that's that's final fantasy 13 like i know people love it i know the battle system has cool things about it but it does i, I do not like that game much and it's because it's just it's just straight corridors it's not straight corridors but it's yeah. like one way corridors the entire way through yep um so that's funny the story's but... really cool though so we'll see if i can get hooked back into it because at the time when i started playing it the reason that i ended up stopping outside of the game playing corridor i was like oh my goodness it was uh i was ending up reading more in the journals and things like that through the menus about the world than i was actually getting from the story and dialogue and i was like Man, they could have done better at this. But I'm also thinking back on it. I was like, man, but that story was actually pretty interesting. I'd like to know what was going on. Even though I know in 13.2 and Lightning Returns, like, none of it makes any sense anymore. So, like, they didn't wrap things yeah. up well. You'll, okay, you'll have to report back if you get back to those games. Um, yeah, if I get the, through that. The other thing about the Vita that I think you might find interesting later. I You don't have a PS4 yet, but the Vita is basically right. a remote connection device to the PS4. So... Okay. I played a ton of Destiny on my Vita when Destiny came out. I was playing it like every night in bed before I went to bed. I would have my Vita out, yeah. hooked to my PS4 downstairs, and I would be playing it until I went to sleep, essentially. And then there are other games that are also really good on it. It depends on the controls, and it depends like latency. There's a bunch of things to keep in mind. But yeah. it's cool that this little tiny handheld device works as a remote for your ps4 which is another thing that they yeah. just don't advertise or talk about at all which is weird to me yeah that's very strange especially with the wii u having that functionality i'm amazed that they don't say like hey we do this better or something like that or at least try to yeah and, yeah uh, exactly i want to ask can you do that with ps3 because i could definitely see myself doing no. that with final fantasy 13 on ps3 no <laughs> sorry <laughs> just no no you can't it's uh-uh um, it's for PS4, but I did want to say one other thing since I'm actually at the end of my gaming backlog. The other thing that I did this week, and I told you this already, but, yeah. um, I renewed my Gamefly subscription after not having it active since like probably around the time my kids were born. It's been like at least five years since I've had an active Gamefly oh, wow. subscription and I used to use it all the time. Um, and then you know, life got busy. I graduated college. I got a job. I had kids yeah. and like you know, other things were happening. I didn't have as much time for it. So I didn't feel like I was getting my money's worth, but I hit the end of my gaming backlog and I'm like, well, what do I do now? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I'm, I, I guys, I read, I watch movies, I watch TV, I do other stuff too, but like gaming is kind of the core of what I do with my free time because I love it. Right. if you haven't been able to tell yet, I really like to play <laughs> games. So what I did was I renewed my Gamefly subscription. I got the two out at a time plan and I'm going to use it the way that I used to use it. So I basically use it to test and sample games that are kind of like B tier games, the mm. games that they've always been interesting for me. 
and maybe if I saw it for like five or ten dollars in the bargain bin or on a sale, I might pick it up. Right. Um, instead of that, I'm gonna just start renting them all from GameFly. And <laughs> I was telling BJ this, and he <laughs> he was amazed. My average turnaround time for a game is one to two days. Like, which is just crazy. I'm I'm using it as a demo service for games that don't have demos, and I don't really know anyone else who uses it like this. But I get the game, I try it out, and if after two days, I probably have seen enough to know that, okay, I see what this game has to offer. I'm going to send it back because it's kind of what I suspected. I would yeah. say maybe one in every 20 games that I check out surprise me. And I go, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I actually want to beat this or play it more or, or own this game. Yeah. And Gamefly has this thing called the keep it price. So it's basically like the copy that you already have in your hand that you have rented. You can go onto their website in your account and there's a button that says keep it. And okay. you essentially pay like a discounted used game price. So it's it's like usually less than what the typical used game cost for that game would be because you already have been paying a rental fee on it. Right. And you just keep it. They take it out of your queue and they send you like the box for it in the instruction manual and it's yours. Huh. And then they just send you the next game for rental. So I really like that about it too. That's really cool that, that I didn't know you could do that, that when you told me that you could do the keep it thing, I was like, that's really awesome because my whole thing was that I ended up turning my Netflix DVDs off when they did that because I was keeping DVDs and not watching them for months. And then my wife looked at me, this is when we were dating and she said, you could have bought so much more. You haven't been watching anything because you think you might eventually watch these. <laughs> and that's what would have happened with me and Gamefly is that I don't play through as enough games and spend enough time playing games to have a subscription to them like I do with audiobooks or something like that. That it would just be it would be cheaper in the long run for me just to buy briefly default than it would be to keep a Gamefly subscription because there's a ch- good chance it will take me longer than it would be worth keeping the subscription open for me. I'll have to check back in on this, you know, next week and the week after, because chances are by the time we record next week, I'll probably have turned around a set of games at least once, if not twice. Mm -hmm. So that'll be two or four games that I'll have tried out by then. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll check in on it. And then (laughs) did you want to talk at all about I know that you started watching the Final Fantasy 15 Brotherhood anime because I told you about it. And yes, it it just wrapped up. And if you guys don't know what this is, because pj didn't um it's basically a tie-in anime and there are four episodes they range in time from i think it's like 11 minutes is the shortest one and the longest one is like 17 so they're 17 i think yeah yeah they're roughly 15 minutes each and it's basically a little vignette about each of the four main characters that go on the you know the road trip that is final fantasy 15 like i said i was mostly on media blackout for ff15 so I didn't really care about the characters at all until I watched these animes. And now I'm like, oh, I see the kind of personality they're going for with each of these characters. And now I'm really interested to see how they all interact in the game itself. And what's really interesting to me is that you had played the demo, that you had seen these four characters interacting in a game space before. And this still made it so that you saw how they would interact better that i don't know how they're going to be in the actual full game but that makes me think that the opening part of this game may put people off more because of uh 
you know, if it takes anime for you to care about them, you know, and the playing the game actually didn't. Well, the demos are a vertical slice of the gameplay. They're not story demos at all. So I don't know okay. if that's going to be an issue. Um, the, the demos do not start at the beginning of the game and give you the first hour. That's not at all what the demos are. Oh, was there a demo that came out with Type Zero? Not the f- I thought it was the first of it. No, not at all. It's just this vertical slice in the middle of the game that kind of gives you a feel for the gameplay, but I don't think it's actually any part of the real game. It's just kind of like, here's a sample of what you could expect from it. And that makes sense. And I really like it that I'm not the biggest anime fan in the world, but I do like subtitled anime. So guys, keep in mind that this is going to be subtitled, that they're on YouTube. You can just look it up as, you know, Final Fantasy 15 Brotherhood, and I really liked them, though, that for being vignettes, and they're super well put together, the animation is fun, and it honestly, the first one made me really excited to play the game. The first one was way, the second one was way better than the first one, but what the first one did was get me interested in the combat system of the game, that if it plays as cool as it looks in the anime, then I am going to be really, really, really happy playing this game because it seems like Kingdom Hearts, like it seems like Kingdom Hearts on steroids is the yeah, way that the combat kind of looks. What it plays like too. I mean, when you play the demos, that's that's yeah. basically what it feels like. It feels like an evolved version of Kingdom Hearts. Um, okay, which is. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be in a Final Fantasy game because it's new, right? We've never had that in an FF game before, but we'll see. Once the game actually comes out, I will definitely be talking about it on here. Check that out, guys. The anime is cool. I don't even like subtitled animes, and I liked this one, so (laughs) it's probably a good endorsement. Yeah, and I've been... I've been out of my head for the last couple of weeks having a hard time reading and concentrating and I was able to watch two of them and read. So that means I got super into it being able to uh, to read longer than, you know, the Final Fantasy nine dialogue bubble at one time. So it was that's high praise for both of us. And he doesn't like them and I'm crazy. So, well, I think with that, it's probably time to wrap it up. Uh, You can always write to us with comments, suggestions or feedback. Our email address, as always, is geek to geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek to geekcast. And if you want to get email updates about any of our network's podcasts, you can sign up at geek2geekcast.net and tell us which shows you want updates about. I blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom, that's green mushroom without the E's, on Twitter. I also run the Video Game News Now podcast, which is part of our geek to geek podcast network. Um, if you're interested in video game headline news done quick, check me out there. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beige. That's Beige with two E's. And I host the Geek Fitness Health Hacks podcast, as well as blogging at geekfitness.net and selling sci-fi novels at bjkeaton.com. We've been Void and Beige with your Geek Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geeks. Bye, geeks.